From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Dan Everson is the CEO of United Way of Jackson County, Oregon, and is on the board of the Oregon Community Foundation, and also wears many other hats. Thank you, Deanne, for being here on the Oregon Grapevine. Thanks for having me, Barbara. I'm excited to be with you. Please start by saying what United Way is and does and how it is related or not related to other United Ways in other communities. United Way of Jackson County is all about mobilizing caring to affect change, which sounds like a mission statement and is. And that's our entire mission. And more simply put than that, we raise people, meaning volunteers, money, obviously, and stuff. And stuff includes my office furnishings which are given to United Way from businesses who are replacing furniture. And so I have a filing cabinet, a mini fridge, some bookcases, some chairs in my office that used to belong to other places. But by doing that just in my office wouldn't be that interesting. But businesses will email me and say, we're giving away 55 desks. And for nonprofits to afford desks is sometimes really hard. And so I say, can you be there by Thursday at 3 and get them out? And people always say yes. And so we're all about leveraging change positively. Um, And how United Ways differ, every single United Way is community-driven. So what's important in one's own community is hopefully what their United Way is doing. And so we're focused on what we think are building blocks of a good life, education, income, health, and transportation. Is there an overall group or National United Way that gives you any kind of direction or just lets you go forth and do what you need to do? So we're members of both the United Ways of the Pacific Northwest, another board I sit on, um, and we're also members of United Way Worldwide because there's United Ways covering over 1,400 different communities in our country and uh, numerous countries around the world. But we are all locally incorporated and locally governed. And so um, our board sets our direction uh, and governance, and I am the paid administrator of those uh, ideas and the work that we do. What is the role of philanthropy in social services and societal aid? Oh, my goodness. Uh, You know, we can never replace what government does for human services because of the volume of the dollars that the government supports. But philanthropy leverages real change uh, to create opportunities for people to have medical treatment, physical health, mental health, dental treatment, alcohol and drug treatment, uh, you name it. Uh, by leveraging more support than just those government dollars. Um, And also it's how we create change because money doesn't create change. In my opinion, it helps. Don't get me wrong. And we all need more of it. Uh, But people are who create the change. 
And being in the voluntary sector is how you do that. And there's a place for every single person in this work to take care of our humanitarian issues because that's what they really are. Let's use a case study for a minute. Let's go to the fire that happened a couple of years ago. Of course, that happened on the Sandy M River, it happened on the Mackenzie River, and it happened deeply in Southern Oregon. So what is the current impact of that fire? To some people, it's like, okay, well, it was two years ago. To others, it, it was two years ago, but it's still today. Where is that, and what is the community responsibility in that process of healing? Oh, my goodness. So uh, that was a really bad Labor Day weekend for our country and for our state. We had eight fires that uh, weekend, that Labor Day weekend. Our fire, I often say we had an event September 8th and 9th of 2020, and we've had disasters every day since. We had never dealt with with a disaster in our community uh, We've had small disasters, you know, where you have a house burned down or a couple of trailers burned down or you have a bad incident. We've had floods, but we've never had a level one FEMA designated disaster. And sometimes you say, oh, that was it. Well, we lost 2,605 residences, 196 commercial buildings, and six uh, public buildings. And sometimes you think, oh, well, it's just a public building. Well, they had to let a fire station go up in flames. And they also, the Migrant Ed building burned, and the building that served families uh, with kids with disabilities burned. And not only did so many of our Latino AX families lose their homes, but those with families with kids with disabilities lost their only positive connection in many cases to schools, because Migrant Ed was there and uh, BESD was there who provided the specialty services for kids. And immediately people respond. Uh, United Way raised over $5 million and we got gifts from every single state in our country and seven foreign countries with notes about, I was an exchange student there, or my best friend lives there, or Here's a gift from Japan because I love the Rogue Valley and I loved Crater Lake. And so people give. They, it just pours in. Um, and we're still using some of that money today, helping people to close their disaster case. And we still have 126 open cases. Of course, the last cases are always the hardest ones. Um, most of the people involved in our fires uh, already had connections to the human services system. There were a lot of folks on food stamps. There were a lot of people with senior and disability services case managers. There were people who were justice involved uh, because in that 2,605 were 18 mobile home parks. There were two low-income apartment complexes, one low-income senior assisted living center and two small hotels that really housed unhoused people. And so that's what we lost. Um, a lot of naturally occurring low-income housing that doesn't get replaced. And so it's really hard to refine people housing when all of that was destroyed. We went into the fires with a less than 1% vacancy rate. 
and then we lost that many units. And so we were already about 4,000 units behind based on people's estimates. And now we're like 8,000 units behind. I'm also on another board, which makes it sound like I'm on boards for a bad hobby and I should get out more. <laughs> and that all may be true. Um, but I'm on New Spirit Village Board, which is uh, really revolutionizing how we could do housing in our country. And it's 3D imaging printed homes. And they're finally permitted and the work is underway in West Medford to build uh, 87 units of housing that they'll 3D image print. And uh, it's going to be permanent housing for these families' home ownership. So they'll be able to build equity, but the land is going to be held in a land trust. So it will be forever permanently supported housing, um, which is really profound and needed. They'll be able to build equity and sell their home for some market appreciation. It just won't be as much as other people's because... They won't be able to sell the land with it, but it's going to really change radically how we can create housing in a better, stronger, more efficient way. There are so many other solutions to coming out of these disasters that we really have to explore. Are you optimistic that they are being explored in in an effective way? On my best day, I am optimistic. And on every day, I'm so excited about New Spirit Village and giving people the chance to have home ownership that will change their families for generations because that's what home ownership can do. Uh, and um, on my worst day, I think we're not getting anywhere because we have so far to go. And it's not just here, we're just that disaster struck. It's all over the state of Oregon and all around the country. Housing is just in a crisis. And there's all sorts of innovative approaches. There's this 3D imaging printed homes. There's uh, modular uh, stackable homes. And uh, they're really amazing. And they're well into development and uh, able to use. So I think we have to start we can't replace all the housing we need with stick-built homes. As you do your work with various boards, which you've said, you know, maybe we haven't even named them all yet, but as you look at these kind of regional issues and boards, and then you step back and take that experience to the Oregon Community Foundation, which is a broader-based regional area, what keeps you informed there? What do you take back and forth from those two to help you do your work? Well, I, I think uh, the Oregon Community Foundation is really special. It's part of what makes Oregon special, which I would have told you before I went on the board, and I still believe it now that I've been on the board a couple of years. Um, it's the only statewide community foundation in the country that's its size. It's over $3 billion, and it funds tiny projects from Lake County to Yamhill County to the coast over here in Southern Oregon, um, in, in Lane County, all over, and, and certainly in Multnomah County, across the state, and everything from arts programs to human services to civic engagement projects uh, that improve the quality of life for every Oregonian. And so it's incredibly inspiring, and they engage an incredible number of volunteers to 
create the change that needs to be created in our state and to engage more people. And so um, for me, it's a great learning experience to take from a microcosm of our small United Way in the country to uh, a statewide board that's invested in doing very similar things in creating positive community change in a way that really manifests uh, positive stuff for Oregon. And it's easy to be excited about. Are there either anecdotes or people's stories or projects that are on the top of your mind that you carry with you as you as you do your work? Oh, yeah, that is what that's the best part of my job is we all walk with a story. You have one, you share plenty of stories. I have one and all the people I interact with, either people who can help or people who need help share their stories and it is the best part of my day and my job um, and I feel really fortunate for it happening and one of the first donations I was personally handed after the fires was at a car show that weekend that happened to be at Rogue Valley Country Club and a guy handed me a hundred dollar bill I was like wow thanks um, and he said well I lost my home too and I'm okay I can do this and it just takes your breath away because I heard so many stories from people who lost everything and they would almost to a point begin a story and say, and then I needed this from the back of my house and I went back to get it and it wasn't there. And that in the case of that story, it was a nail file. In another case, it was a robe. And in another case, it was a book and a blanket for the couch that wasn't their couch anymore. And the blanket and the book were gone. And we don't keep stuff in our lives because it doesn't give us pleasure. I mean, I'm sure we have stuff we can get rid of, all of us, but most of the stuff gives us pleasure. And uh, all of that was gone for so many people. And all of those people were so gracious and shared stories with me. And it's true, um, United Way has done some really interesting projects. And one of the most important is a project called In This Together, which is about mental wellness and suicide prevention. And it started because a 14-year-old kid came in my office years ago and said, I don't care how many kids you graduate from high school, how about you keep us all alive? And still today, all these years later, that stuns me that that young woman had the courage to hold me accountable to do something better. And that project has gone on to win Emmy Awards for Public Service and to win the Service to America Award for KOBI, which is the highest honor a broadcasting station can win. And so it's all done based on story and people being willing to share and, and sharing the path they're walking in this life. We are obviously in extremely divisive times politically and, and emotionally with a lot of people, and yet I see philanthropy can often bridge that gap when you are raising money for a project. The politics of the, of the people involved can be anywhere. 
may not agree with you. They may totally agree with you. How do you, do you broach that subject or do you have to, or how do you see that working in under the veil of philanthropy? Well, I, I think there's probably a place for that in, in some parts of philanthropy. I, I think that as long as we can focus on uh, what we're mutually interested in, and I realize that sounds maybe cheesy and sort of happy-go-lucky, but I think we have the greatest chance to do the most good when we're focused on what we actually care about, not what we are against. And so I don't think in human services, at least not in our united way, that politics enters the realm of discussion about how you solve a problem. And so I, I think I probably tend to avoid it because I, I don't want to talk about immovable things. I want to talk about things we can actually move. What is inspiring you now as you go around finding those movable things? You know, uh, our stories inspire me every day. I recently met with a guy uh, who lives in a wheelchair, and he wants us to work on a really cool initiative, which I'm going to work on, and I'm saying it out loud for the first time right now. He said to me one day, Deanne, there are car charging stations everywhere. Why aren't there wheelchair charging stations everywhere? And I especially love it when I have a duh moment because you're like, man, that's awfully easy to solve. Why isn't there? Um, and, you know, for people who live in chairs, it's a really insecure feeling when they're out there trying to run errands and get around to not have a full charge. And it wouldn't take much for all of us to put a little sign on our front door that said, hey, you're welcome here. Here's an outlet charge up before you need to go on your way. And we could be welcoming to folks who need that sort of thing. So I'm working to make that happen in Southern Oregon, and I hope it'll start a movement that means everyone can do that wherever they are, because it's just an outlet. And it only costs pennies to charge a wheelchair. Take some time, and it has to be a safe place for the person to sit and to charge their chair, but we can do that. There are plenty of us in offices that that is not a hard thing to give back. And now that you've said it, there's other people who have heard it. So not only are you accountable, but perhaps you'll get some contacts. And I hope someone says, gosh, yeah, we could do that. And we don't even need her to do that for us. We can write on a piece of paper and hang it on the door. that says, you know, you're welcome here. It's okay for us to be that way. It's just part of our being human responsibility, I think. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on, Deanne, either in the broad, kind of obscure places or specifics of this conversation? You know, I, I think I would say that um, opportunities like this give us the opportunity to create change. So I'm really grateful for the Oregon Grapevine, for you. Um, because regardless of the topic, the more we can engage people in positive things in the world, the better off we're all going to be. And uh, the opportunity is really there to listen and to grow and to learn from something and to do whatever is yours to do. 
because you heard an idea. And so I just am grateful for the chance to be with you. Thank you so much, Deanne. It's always a pleasure. And Deanne Everson talking on the Oregon Grapevine. We'll see where the charging for wheelchairs goes, among other things. There you go. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.